Uh, we're going to be looking in just a bit at that passage from 1 John chapter 1. So if you have your own Bible, if you're looking at the Bible on a device this morning, you would just be ready to look at that in just a little bit. Again, that's 1 John chapter 1. If you're using one of the Bibles that's in the chairs by you, that's on, I believe, page 959. Let me pray. Father, we love you and we need you. We pray that you would come during this time and that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would teach us as we open your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so y'all, it's the second Sunday in Lent. If you happen to be new, that's uh, the time of the liturgical year in our church calendar. We're in the second week of a new series that we just started calling Drawing Near. So what we're doing is we're looking at what tools the Bible says might be available to us that would allow us to continue in this thing that is pursuing God, drawing near to him, walking closely with him, or as Jesus says in John chapter 15, abiding in him, remaining in him. That's, that's the goal of what we're talking about. Now, last week, we started by thinking about fasting. If you weren't with us for then, um, as I shared in an email this week, you can now start following our sermons again through the, the podcast that we do. So go to our website if you want to hear any of that. Today, we're thinking about something else that's available at um, or encouraged in the Christian life, I should say, as we look at the scriptures. And that's the practice of confession. Confession. Now, some of y'all that are maybe newer here, if you're not familiar with the Anglican tradition, I say that, and the, and the first thing that comes to mind is maybe um, what we think of with our... Uh, our Catholic brothers and sisters and the, the kind of formal practice of going into the booth and there's the priest and, and speaking with him and, and um, him responding. That's not what we're thinking about today. Okay, what, we're, what we're gonna be doing is looking at confession in the broadest sense that we see in the Bible. And that is what, as the people of God come before him, they acknowledge their sins before him and they bask in his forgiveness. That's what's going on during confession, acknowledging our sins and basking in the forgiveness of God. Now, as we look at this today, okay, we're thinking about this because confession is, is powerful for at least two reasons. Um, one, it's necessary. It's necessary in the Christian life. So as we talked about last week, when you look at this thing that is being a Christian, this is not primarily about living a certain way and behaving a certain way. It's about a relationship with God. It's about being in a relationship with him walking with him, as it says in 1 John 1, in fellowship with him, enjoying him, serving him. And so we need to think about this because anytime you have a relationship between two parties where there's at least one human being involved, okay, we know there's gotta be some sort of a mechanism for forgiveness. Okay, there's gotta be some way that somebody can own up to ways that they failed the other person. Talk to any couple that's been married for 50 years happily married for 50 years. And they will tell you, you do not get there by not ever apologizing. Whoever, we've joked about this before, whoever said, you know, love means never having to say you're sorry, that person wasn't married. Okay, they don't know what they're talking about, nor for 50 years. There's gotta be some sort of a mechanism for this in relationships. So that's, that's why it's so important because it's necessary for us to, to walk in relationship with God. It's not just necessary though, it's transforming. Okay, confession is transforming. When you come along, a, a man or a woman, a follower of Jesus that is walking 
with a sort of inner life of ongoing confession, you notice that they're different. One reason, because they're humble. They're, they're, um, they're not proud. They can admit their mistakes. They can own up to them. And why can they do that? They can admit their mistakes because they, they do it on a regular basis in the relationship that matters more than any other one. So they're humble, and at the same time, almost paradoxically, they're confident. They're secure. And they don't, they don't look to the other people around them in order to make them feel whole. They don't relate to other people that way. They already feel whole, and that's because they've been assured they have forgiveness with their Heavenly Father. So confession is something that we know Christians should be doing. It's something we know changes us. It, it turns us into the kind of people that we would admit we all want to be. And so here's how we're going to be looking at this now this morning. As we open our Bibles, we're going to be looking at the role and the power of confession by taking up four questions. Just like we took up four questions last week, we're going to do this again today. So number one, we're going to ask, why is it necessary? If I'm a Christian, why, why should I be confessing my sins regularly? Number two, what's the essence of it? What, what are the elements that seem to be associated with any sort of sincere confession we read about in Scripture? Number three, what's the fruit of it? You know, what's, what's the result of it? What's taking place? What do we know is taking place as we come before God and do this? And then finally, with these things being the case, how can we practice it? How, how can we really develop a life of regularly acknowledging our brokenness before God, basking in his forgiveness, and walking as has changed people. How do we do those things? So those are the four we're going to be thinking about. Let's look at that first one now. First, why is it necessary? We're going to camp out here for a while. And here's the reason why. Because I know there are some of us that are running, wondering the question, okay, if I've put my faith in Jesus Christ, okay, obviously I've admitted I'm a sinner. Okay, and I know I've been forgiven my sin once and for all. I mean, we part of our our time at the table, when we come to communion, we're, we're emphasizing that in what's called the fraction, okay? Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed once for all. So if that's the case, why do I have to confess my sins again? You ever wondered that? The reason that we do this is because of, of the reality of what the Bible and, and what um, some theologians would describe as indwelling sin. So the, the reality that when somebody becomes a Christian, we know Jesus has taken on our sins. We know we've been forgiven. We know sin's still present in our life. Okay, it doesn't control us the same way. It's not our master anymore. We have a new master, and that's Jesus. But it's still present in some way. Both those things are true. Being made new and, and, and still in some ways, having sin present in our life. And that's the reason why you can even see those two things being held hand in hand by the Apostle Paul in his writings. And for example, many of you know those verses from 2 Corinthians 5.21, that if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Remember that? The old has gone, the new has come. The weird thing is, then you go to the book of Romans and you get specifically to Romans chapter 7, and, and you read from someone that clearly knows how conversion works, uh, writing about the reality that sin is still present in his life long after his conversion experience. So listen to how Paul describes this, this experience of 
sin still being present in his life. He says, and I know many of you know this well, verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I don't want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I don't want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So again, Paul understands Christian conversion and, and, and what's going on there and, and the implications of it, we would argue, probably better than anybody else. I mean, that's what he's been writing about in the book of Romans, arguably from chapter three through chapter six. We get to seven and here's Paul saying, look, I've experienced these things. Sin is still a reality in my life. It's still a battle. I'm not perfect. And for those of us here that have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we also know that's what's happened for us. Okay, we, we know we're not immediately perfect. Raise your hand, if looking back on your own conversion experience, raise your hand if, if after the first time you, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, immediately you never had a, another judgmental thought. Uh, you never thought of yourself more highly than other people. You never had another lustful thought about someone that's not your spouse. And immediately you just wanted to give all your money away. There's a reason no one has their hand up. None of us have that experience. And all this shows us, it doesn't mean if we still struggle with these things, doesn't mean that we're not a Christian. It just means that we're experiencing the same thing that Paul talks about in Romans 7, 19, okay? That we, we have been forgiven. We're still not perfect. We know we won't be ultimately until we get to meet Jesus face to face. Now we've spent some time there to say, if that's the case, if there is still reality of sin in your life and in my life, then the reality is we've got two options in how we respond to that, don't we? So we can either ignore it or we can confess it. Think about that. So we, we, can, we can ignore it. We can pretend that it's not really there. Um, that's probably what most of us are tempted to do most of the time, if we're honest, we know the reason that that's not appealing is, is when that happens, it's kind of like a marriage where there are two people and they both know that one person has really wronged the other person and yet they're, they're not willing to say anything about it. And so um, both people are kind of oddly not addressing it. Um, they're, they're just ignoring the elephant in the room. And, and one person in particular is holding back. Okay, that's not a relationship of intimacy and closeness. That's not what we were made for with God where we're, we're unable to be um, fully open about what's going on in our lives. We were made to be totally transparent with him. And, and any relationship of true intimacy has to have complete vulnerability, complete transparency. So that doesn't seem like the option that we want to take. Obviously, the other option is we can admit it, which is not what we want to naturally do usually because we wonder with God the same sort of things that we wonder about other people when we have to think about admitting our sin. What, what is this person going to think of me? Um, you know, I can't believe I'm having to say this to them again because this has been an ongoing struggle for me. Um, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. Now, the beauty of this is when we bring our sin before God, God does not relate to us in the way that other people might in their own sin relate to us when we confess our sin. Okay, what does he do? We're going to think more about this in just a couple minutes in that passage from 1 John. But he forgives immediately 
and he forgives completely, doesn't he? Immediately and completely. And that's the reason that ongoing confession is so necessary and so important because if we want to draw near to God, who is a holy and a perfect God, if, if we want to cling to him and, and be as fully vulnerable as we can, then we, we can either, again, y'all, just uh, pretend that we don't have any sin, which is, to get to our passage in a second, I mean, we're really lying to ourselves in that moment. And we're calling God, who says that we have sin in our lives, a liar. We can pretend that it's not there, or we can own up to it, and we can bask in the immediate forgiveness and the grace of God. Now, it would seem like admitting it is obviously the better option if that's the case. How does it work? What's the essence of it? What, what, what do we see normally when we read about sincere confession in the Bible? Okay, so when you look at people confessing their sin before God in the Bible, almost always we read about three things that are a part of it. And for the sake of this morning, they all start with S to make it easier to remember, okay? So speaking, sorrow, and striving. True confession is always, almost always accompanied by speaking, sorrow, and striving. Let's think about this just for a second. First, speaking. That's the obvious one we all think of when we hear someone made a confession. Okay, that's what we read about in Psalm 32 when when. David is talking about his own experience of confessing his sin before God. We don't know exactly the occasion that David's um, talking about. It could be the affair that he had with Bathsheba. But we do know that after this period of time where he's been keeping it in and he's been wasting away, what does he do? He confesses it. He, he owns up to it. Verse 5, he's talking to God. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said... I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now think about this, this speaking part, this is why I'm gonna to refer to the, the prayer of confession we have during our service just a couple, uh, for a couple times as we look at these. That's why the first thing that we say as we start, if you're visiting with us, just follow along on the screens. What do we say? Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you. And in case anyone thinks we're off the hook, in thought, word, and deed. That, that covers all the bases, doesn't it? We confess this. That's the first one. We speak it. We acknowledge it. Number two, sorrow. So when we look in the Bible at people that are, are acknowledging their need for God, their brokenness before him, we always see this specific emotional response that people have to their sin. And that's sadness. It's lament. Okay, just for a moment, let's think about that gospel reading we had for us earlier from Luke chapter 18 as Jesus is talking about the parable with the Pharisee and the tax collector. You've got the Pharisee there who's someone who's clearly, again, as Jesus says, trusting in his own righteousness. He's spiritually proud. He's, he's thankful that he does these things and, and not like this other person. Then we have the tax collector. And what's it say about the tax collector in verse 13? But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So here's somebody that we might say is in a moment of confession. He is there, he's being honest with God. And, and what's his experience with God like? 
He's off away from other people. He won't even lift his eyes up. He is carrying the weight of this. And then he beats his chest. His sin grieves him. He mourns it. Or just to think again, to go back to our prayer of confession we're going to have in a moment. It's, it's only a few words, but there's huge power in those words. Remember, the next thing we, we say after we confess is that uh, we are truly sorry. Truly. God, we're sorry. We wish this wasn't so. I wish that I didn't do this. Okay, I, I'm, I regret that this happened. So speaking, sorrow, and then finally, striving. Striving, so sincere confession is almost always accompanied by the, an expression of the desire and a commitment to try to live differently, even though knowing we may fail. We may fail. There's a commitment there. Just another example of, of this. Think about Zacchaeus, just a chapter later in, in Luke 19. And there's Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector also, so all the religious people look down on him. And there he is, he's, after spending time with Jesus, what does he do? He, he declares to Jesus and everybody else, look, I'm, I'm gonna give half of my stuff away. You know, he's, he's probably amassed his fortune by exploiting people in his profession. I'm giving half of it away. Whatever I've defrauded of people, I'm gonna pay it back four times. Okay, this is what as Christians we call repentance. This is a, a willingness to change in the area of our sin that we're grieving. That's what's going on. And, and similarly, one more time, just to go back to that prayer, that's why we say we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. Both those things are there. And it's really weird if you've, if you've got the sorrow and the regret without any sort of willingness to change, isn't it? The Bible says, if you wanna know if a confession's sincere, look for all three of those. All three of those need to be there. If, if they're not there, it is really hard, isn't it, to, to not wonder, is this person being fully honest with me? Are they, are they being totally transparent? Let me give an example of this. How many of you have ever been in charge of looking after a small child? So maybe, a, a, let's say in this case, a granddaughter or a niece or a daughter. She's five years old. Have you ever had this experience where you're playing in the room in your house, uh, maybe a living room, maybe you're even watching something on TV just for a moment, and you get a call on your phone. You, can, you know it's a sensitive call that you need to take. Um, everything in the room looks safe. So you decide you're gonna walk 10 feet down the hall. You know she'll be fine. You take the call, you come back. You've only been gone 10 minutes. It looks like you've been gone for a week. That, that room looks like a bomb went off in it. And what's gone on? All the cushions are all over the floor. Okay, there, there is a, <laughs> you had thin mints at lunch for a small snack. There was half a box left at the time. The box is in tatters, empty, on the floor. There are crumbs everywhere, and there are crumbs around her mouth. Okay, she's finished it off. And then on top of that, there's paint pulled out. There's a paintbrush. And not only is there a smiley face painted on the side of your yellow lab, <laughs> there's now a smiley face painted on one of the main walls in the living room. Now, if that were to happen, okay, when you were to go up to that young woman, that daughter, that niece, that granddaughter. We're, we're not just looking for the truth, are we? We are looking for an apology, but we want more than an apology, don't we? We, we don't just want a half-hearted, I'm sorry. Can I watch TV? 
Any, ever, anyone ever been there? That's not what we're looking for. We, we want, for her sake, not our sake, although a little bit for our sake, we want to know that person feels sorry. And what else do we say? You would need to promise me you are never going to do that again. We want all three of those. Hey, that's, that's what we want from somebody that's wronged us, isn't it? And whether that's a, a, a five-year-old girl that's destroyed the living room or a 30-year-old man who's destroying his family with his addiction to alcohol. That's what we want. And we want all three. One's not enough. Two's not enough. All three, and is it any coincidence that what we want from other people when it comes to confession is what God says we're to bring to him as we acknowledge our shortcomings before him? So I should add, um, when, those three, when those three things aren't there, it's not confession, it's manipulation, isn't it? It's, it's the uh, appearance of contrition or making amends in order to get what I want, to be perceived a certain way, to achieve a certain outcome, to maintain control in a relationship. All of us know what that's like. All of us have been complicit in that in some way, probably. True confession has all those things, speaking, sorrow, striving to be different, knowing again, and we may well fail. Number three, what's the fruit then? So what takes place, what do we know has happened as we confess our sins? And when we look at the scriptures carefully, there are two amazing things we read about that our sin is is forgiven, it is forgotten. Both those things, are they're, they're unique and they're incredible. Forgiven and forgotten. Let's first think about the forgiven from that passage we have in 1 John 1. So now, finally, if you do have that in front of you, will you look at that on page 959? In 1 John 1, John's writing about really pursuing holiness, walking in fellowship with God, in fellowship with the light. And it's in that context that he talks about the reality of owning up to our own brokenness and says, look, if you, if you can't own up to your own brokenness, you're lying to yourself. You're making a liar out of God who says that you're broken. So here's what he says in verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. Again, we're getting back to the reality. And notice John's writing we. He knows what this is like. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So pretend our sins don't even exist. We're lying to ourselves. We're making a liar out of God. But confess them, he'll forgive us. They're forgiven. They're forgiven. And did you notice, this is one of the interesting parts about this. He uses the word, he's faithful and just. He is just in that forgiveness. He's still a just God. So the reason that justice is important there is it's okay. As he forgives us, he is still remaining judge because the the payment and the penalty for our sin, the justice related to that, that's already been served. Jesus took that on. So when he forgives us, he's not like a judge looking at someone that's done something awful that has just said, you know what? Don't worry about it. He says, you're forgiven. You're forgiven because by the way, somebody already paid that penalty. He's just. 
So we're forgiven, and then Jeremiah goes a step further than that and reminds us, if that's not good enough, it's forgotten. Our sin is forgotten. That's coming to us from several places. One of the most beautiful places in that promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31, which, which we know, if you've looked at that, this promise is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus because among other reasons, when we read the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews in chapter 10, verses 16 through 18, shows us how this is fulfilled in Jesus as one decisive sacrifice once and for all. And, and as the author of Hebrews is quoting from Jeremiah 31, listen to what quotes Jeremiah 31, 34, talking about this day when God will do this new thing. Starts with the forgiveness. For I will forgive their iniquity, God says, and I will remember their sins no more. I will remember their sins no more. In Hebrews 10, 17, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So the stuff in your past that you're not proud of, maybe the stuff that, that some mistakes that you made when you were growing up, maybe you grew up in a small town and everybody knows them. Okay, the, the things that you did, those aren't just forgiven, they're forgotten. The things before you became a Christian, the things after you've become a Christian, those things that you, you feel so ashamed to bring before God time and time again because you don't feel like you can get things together, those things too, those are forgotten. They're forgotten. It's as if they never happened. So when God looks at us, he does not see a sort of zero-sum gain of our past and then kind of like the emperor and gladiator give like a slow thumbs up or thumbs down. Okay, he, he forgives us and he forgets those things. And, and we now have the righteousness of God in Christ through faith. So that's how confession works. In fact, I just wanna say, if there, is, if there is one thing that you hear from this morning or hear in what we're looking at, hear this. For Christians, we confess our sins. Okay, not because we know we have done something and in it we have lost the love of God or we have lost our salvation. Okay, we confess our sins and we can come to him because we know we are loved in Christ and in him we have already been forgiven. So we're not trying to muster up an apology to get the love of God or our salvation back. That is not what's going on. We can come to him um, with excitement and with great relief that as we do it, we, we know we are coming to someone that will forgive us because in a sense, we have already been forgiven once for all time through Jesus. Imagine that. If you knew there was somebody in your life, some of us have never had a person like this in our life, but if you knew there was somebody in your life that no matter how you wronged them, if you went to them and you owned it and you said, I look, I did this. If you knew that instantly they would not only forgive you, but they would forget it. They wouldn't hold it against you. They wouldn't remind you about once a year when you get into a big spat. They wouldn't avoid you in the aisle at the Piggly Wiggly. They wouldn't turn their back on you if you're in your bed at night, turning off your lights to go to sleep. If you knew that there was someone that you could come from and they would instantly forget whatever had been done, would we not confess y'all in a millisecond? Whatever it is, that's what's been made available to us as followers of Jesus. Lavish grace, 
lavish forgiveness, and the promise that God will remember our deeds no more. And if that's the case, what I then want to do is, one thing about four different ways that, let, let me actually stop and, and say this. If, if, those, if those things don't strike you, thinking about this, and, and if you don't sense any desire in your heart to, to want that, either one, you, you don't think you really need it, that, it, that you're, you're handling things okay in life, that it's not really necessary. Okay, you, you think that your, your stuff and your past, maybe the things that nobody in this room knows about, none of the pastors know about, or the clergy, um, your spouse doesn't know about, maybe you think that's too far for God's forgiveness, which really means you don't believe the blood of Jesus is really that effective or that it could cover everything, or you just don't care and you really don't want to draw near to God. If, if making a habit of this doesn't seem appealing, one of those three things has got to be true. And so if it really is as important as the Bible seems to say that it is in a healthy relationship with God and really a healthy relationship with other people, what are some ways that we might do this? Number one, go to church or the devil might get you, okay? Now, I'm happy to take that up with anyone. There's, there's probably a lot more truth to that than we, when we laugh about it. But go to church. Obviously, I'm biased. Here's what I mean by that, okay? There's a beautiful thing about whether it's this church or for those of you who are watching online and in discerning maybe where to, to visit or another church tradition where there is a regular pattern of ongoing confession. Okay, that's a beautiful thing about what we call our order of service or our liturgy. You can know if you haven't taken time to confess your sins during the week, if you come in, come into this service, there's gonna be a moment where you're either tuning God out or you are being forced to, in your mind, come face to face with him and acknowledge you have not honored him in every way. It's a beautiful thing. So come to church. Let's confess them corporately together. Not only in worship, we can confess them just with one another. Okay, so James chapter five. Verse 16, James says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. One of the great gifts in the Christian life is being able to sit with other men or women that we can be, you know, ideally of the same gender, a small group of people that we can be totally vulnerable with, completely honest with. And as we do that, they're not there just to extend license or to encourage us in our sin, but they are there as we have genuinely confessed our sins to say, brother, Sister, you're forgiven. Do you know? You have been completely cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You walk in the righteousness of Christ. That is a great gift. If you don't have that, find it. If you, if you want to talk to one of us in leadership about finding that, we would love to connect you with other people. Similarly, for some of you, one of the most helpful things to do could be, I'm not just doing that with a friend. Maybe you'd like to do that with a pastor. Okay, or with a, a, a priest. Do you have to do it? No, you should know you can. And in fact, in our, what we call our Book of Common Prayer, there is a, a right, you know, R-I-T-E, there is an opportunity to meet with a priest and there's a prayer in there and, and you can confess your sin before that person. And some of you might think, I don't know if I need that. You know who it is helpful for? It's for people that are struggling to find language to, to get out this thing that they're wrestling with. It's, it's essentially a paragraph 
with some blank space where, where one can fill in the blank and they can acknowledge that before a priest and then be assured by that priest that again, they are walking as they've forgiven that sin and as they've put their faith in Jesus Christ, they are walking in the love and the delight of God as their sins have been forgiven and forgotten. In fact, that's what's going on. Remember, after, after we have our moment of confession every week, Andrew and myself stand up and, and that's essentially what we're doing. We are assuring you, y'all, you have been forgiven. Our sins forgotten. We have, this is not, this is not like to sound trite or like a, a, I don't mean if anyone was something from Hobby Lobby in your kitchen, but like this is not to sound just cheesy. We're walking in the peace of God. That's why we have the peace afterwards. It's not just a seventh inning stretch when the pastor's gone a little long, okay? Though sometimes it's really necessary. I need it too. It's more than that. It's being able to say, I have peace, just like it says in Romans 5.1. Therefore, we've been justified through faith. I have peace with God. And we have peace with one another. It can be amazing, amazing to have a friend, member of the clergy, reminding us of that. And then finally, corporate confession is again essential. Private confession is essential. You should find a way to be doing this on a regular basis, if, if you're not already. And some of you think, I don't even know how to pray. How do I confess my sins regularly? Some of, some of you all who go way back in youth group or maybe in a ministry like Young Life where I became a Christian, uh, you had people recommend that acronym, ACTS. Do you remember that? A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving and supplication. So praising God, confessing our sins, extending our gratitude to him for everything he's done for us, and then supplication, bringing our requests before him. That's some great scaffolding to build your prayer, on, your prayer life on if you don't have that. So, so private confession. Let me just close with this. Some of you I know, as you've heard this, and, and um, you're maybe now willing to think, okay, if, if we have to confess our sins, um, how often are you saying we should do this? For not falling into our salvation or losing um, the love of God, how often? Well, is it, is it once a week? Is it once a day? Is it more often than that? How often? Maybe here's one way to answer that. How often do you need to be reminded that in God, through Christ, you are fully known and you are fully loved? How often do you need to hear that? Fully known, all of our stuff, all of our junk, fully loved, forgiven, our, our lawless deeds, forgotten as, as one has said before. How often do you need to be reminded that ultimately, deep down, we are more broken and more sinful than we ever dared believe. And yet in Christ, we are more accepted and more loved than we ever dared hope. You need to remember that, confess your sins. Trying to figure out how often to do it. How often do you need to hear those things? Start there. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this gift. And thank you for the invitation to draw near to you and to walk with you. And that we can walk as a people that are forgiven and great confidence, intimacy with you and walking in your perfect righteousness. Lord, would you please continue in, in the season ahead in these weeks during Lent to show us how we can enjoy you and regularly, again, walking in fellowship with you and clinging to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.